Well, if you'll turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, we're going to look at some teaching on some questions that were answered, that uh, Jesus had answered. This, these particular questions take up more space to answer than any other question that Jesus has asked. Because all three, well, three of the Gospels cover them. Only John does not. And in Matthew 24, we're going to see where these questions came from, how they came about, and what was it that attracted Jesus so much to them. Now, I wanted to go over one thing in review here with you. In order to get your questions to be the quality that get God's attention, where He sends angels, moves mountains, and does all sorts of things to get the answer to us, your question must contain five qualities. I think I gave you this list way back in the beginning, but just wanted to review it with you. First off, it must be a question of faith, not a question of doubt. Not, well, why? How come this always happens to me? That's not a question that's going to get God's attention. It has to be a question that's of faith. It has to be a question of trust. You need to trust God. That question needs to show that you trust God. It needs to be a question of patience, not one that's uh, well, I'm running out of time. God, you said you would do this. I'm, I want it now. Not those kind of questions. It needs to be a question from contentment. In all things, we need to be content. And it needs to be a question from contentment. And fifth, it must be a question that involves thanksgiving. There needs to be some, some thanks there. Certainly no complaining. Be thankful for the things that we have. You got a question that's formulated in these things. You'll see that you'll have an answer far quicker than you would otherwise. These are the questions, these are the characteristics that we see in the Word of God that got His attention. But here there's three questions that are raised by the disciples. They are familiar questions to you, and though we will take a look at some of the content of Jesus' answers, we're more interested in the question. In Matthew 24, verse 1, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the disciples came out, and they're showing Him the the things of the temple. They're looking at this temple, and they see it's a pretty pretty magnificent thing. Have you ever done that, just walking on down the street? And maybe you see a particular building a certain display, something out there that just seems to be spectacular. And you begin to talk to somebody, oh, have you seen that? Do you see those Christmas lights over there? We all like Christmas lights, and some places really go at it. And they're just uh, quite a quite a thing to take a look at. And we begin to discuss that. That's kind of what's happening here. They just happen to be walking on by, and they're just discussing the, the temple. Now, this is this particular temple is what is known as Herod's Temple. It's still under construction. Herod is still in the process of building this. He wants to make this the most spectacular temple that there that there ever was. The temples, as they go, there was first of all Solomon's temple. That's the first one that was built, and that was destroyed by Babylon. Then the captives came back, and we have what was called Zerubbabel's, Zerubbabel's temp, temple. And that one uh, was really pretty far removed from Solomon's temple. It didn't look anything much like it. In fact, some people, they said, wept when they saw it built because um, it may have been because they said, boy, we know what it was like and now look at this. This is the best that we can do. And it may have been something like that. Other people rejoiced. We had Zerubbabel's temple. And Herod came along and he took that temple that was built and he improved it. And he added a lot of things to it. And he wanted to make this the most spectacular temple because one of the prophets talked about how the latter temple would be better than the former. And so Herod is set out to do this. Of course, it wasn't talking about this particular temple, but he didn't know that. So this is the one that's there. The other temple that will come up is the end times temple, the temple that we built for the end times, for which the Antichrist comes in and sets up his image in. But that one is not, not here yet. So this particular one is Herod's temple. And they're walking on by and seeing all the improvements that Herod has done and all the the beautiful things that are there and they're just talking about, boy, look at this and look at the gold and look at the precious stones and look at the way all these things are fitted together and it's just a spectacular looking building and they're just talking to Jesus about it. If they were not having that conversation with Jesus, Jesus 
would not have said the things that he said. If Jesus doesn't say the things that he says, the disciples don't ask these three famous questions. If the disciples don't ask these three questions, we are missing a lot of information on end times. Questions are important, but we have to have questions that get God's attention and not questions that he basically, uh, I'm not dealing with that one. Just like Jesus ignored some, some questions, he didn't answer them. So they knew that the temple's destruction, this was one of the settings, settings, uh, setting up of the um, coming messianic kingdom. This is what has to happen. This temple is going to be affected by the what goes on in the end times. And so when Jesus says this, inside themselves, they're getting a little excited, maybe a little sad, but a little excited, because he says this is going to be destroyed, and they're thinking when this temple is destroyed, then Messiah comes. That's in their, in their mind. That's where their question comes from. It comes from a wrong assumption. But it still has some merit to the question and Jesus deals with the merit that he has. So verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now I was looking around anytime I get into end times, I always like to go out there and see what have people been digging up. And um, sometimes I really find some interesting things. And like this time, I found some things that really frustrated me. Almost got me angry. And I don't understand how people can do it. But there's a lot of wrong assumptions that come out in here. And people are bringing this. And there are some, some very famous preachers and some people that, uh, that, are, that are well known. John, uh, John Hagee, uh, he loves preaching on the end times. I don't listen to him. If you choose to, that's fine. And I'm not saying he's a heretic or he's bad. He just has an awful lot of details wrong on the end times. And I was listening to one of them. I said, let's just see what John has. And he talks about the four kings of the Antichrist and how they're coming to war. I said, what four kings is he talking about that are coming to war in the end? So I went on back and said, oh, what he must be looking at is the uh, four horsemen. And the four horsemen are not four kings that are coming to war with each other. The first one represents the Antichrist, and he might be a king, but the other ones are not. So why in the world are we saying... And I listened to a few others... They have a lot of assumptions that they make uh, about this. One of them even began to teach if we are in the tribulation now. Well, that's ridiculous if we're in the tribulation now. So when you go out there and you listen to people, you do have to try and listen. What assumptions have they made? Are those assumptions true? Or are those assumptions really going to to bother them to hinder what they're going to to um hear from God. Some people have the wrong idea of the millennium and when it's going to come. And that affects all the other things that they're also going to be learning and doing. I put a quote in your outline today and I am not at all advocating that anyone go out and listen to Dr. Tony Campolo. Please don't take that. I have listened to some of the things he has said. I forgot about it when I put it in the bulletin, but I uh, came upon it later on. And I'm appalled at some of the things that Dr. Tony Campolo has taught. So please don't take that as an endorsement, but he did get this one right. I didn't like this this part here. Uh, if you don't know any of the controversy and the things that are going on with Dr. Tony Campolo, don't worry about it. It makes no difference. Just keep on going with your life. You're doing fine. <laughs> but uh, there are some things that were a little disappointing. But you need to go into the end times thinking that at any moment Christ can come and it could be a thousand years away. And I loved his, his reasoning for that. It's in the quote. It's, um, I loved his reasoning for that. You've got to be living down on this life like you're going to be here for a long time. It changes the way that you live. You've also got to live down on this life like he could come at any minute. He could come at any time. And some of the parables that Jesus gives goes along with that. So don't be resigned to everything. Well, God's going to come in the next year or two. Or God's not going to come for a hundred years or a thousand years or whatever it might be. Um, except that both might be true. <laughs> and live like he's coming tomorrow. Prepare like he's not coming until your life is over. And just keep on going like that. That is a, a good way to go. I thought he hit the nail on the head with that one. 
So he says, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? That's the second question. And of the end of the age. There are some people who summarize this into two questions. I don't know how you can do that. I think it's very plain that these are three questions. If you go over to Mark chapter 13, verse 3, it tells us which disciples asked. I'll read it for you. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. So when it says that he sat with the disciples, he didn't sit with all the disciples. He sat with four. He walked by the temple with all the disciples, but four of them had a particular question. They they probably discussed it among themselves. Maybe they knew there would be a time that we sometimes get Jesus by ourselves. They had Jesus by themselves. Don't know what the other ones were doing. But when this discussion goes on, it's with Peter, it's with James, it's with John, and it's with Andrew. It's a private conversation. That means that Luke wasn't there. That means that Matthew wasn't there. But Matthew has a lot of detail on this conversation. So he heard about it. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now we've gone over this principle many times. The very first thing Jesus talks about when he gets into the end times is, Be careful that no one deceives you. Because people will be out there. They have become deceived. And so they go on and deceive others. One of the uh, principles that Rick Renner taught me, I think something like 40 years ago. I still remember, I can still remember being in the service when he, when he taught this service. I heard this one live. It is, it was at the time one of his most popular tape series. It was also his largest tape series. He doesn't do real large tape series that I can see anymore, but he did this one. And it had, I've told you before about it, it has the most spectacular title I have ever heard for a sermon series. How to respond when you receive the Judas kiss. Is that not fantastic? <laughs> that is just one of the best series titles I have ever heard. And the content of that, uh, it was on tape back then. I don't even know if he's ever put it on CDs. But it was on tape back then and I just loved uh, going through all that. But one of the things he taught in there is that in order to be a deceiver, you must first be deceived. I thought that's pretty, pretty simple, but it's pretty, uh, pretty profound. In order to be a deceiver, you must first be deceived. There are many people who are teaching things on end times who don't believe that what they're teaching is wrong. Now, I can be in the same boat. I, I don't teach you anything that I think is wrong. And over the course of the, the years that we've been together, I have, uh, I keep constantly going out there trying to learn new things, trying to find, uh, other evidence has been uncovered or see, how things are unfolding and learn. And I've changed some of the things that I, I said, you know, this was wrong. I taught this, but this was wrong. This is uh, more correct here. But at the time I taught it to you, as far as I knew, that was the best. So you have to keep going after it and keep pressing in. You have to keep learning. You can't just hit a spot and just say, well, that's it. How many looked at the comic today? See, a lot of times we dig a hole and we go so far down and says, well, that's as far as I can go. That's all that there is. You can't judge the entire earth by a three-foot hole. There's a whole lot of more stuff in there. I can't judge the Word of God. I can't judge the understanding of God by the little tiny bit that I've got. I know I've got to keep pressing in. The more I press in, the more I realize I don't know. So keep pressing in on it. Keep, uh, keep listening. Listen to your spirit. He is the giver of truth. He will let you know when you're starting to get off if you listen to Him. Take heed that no one deceives you. There are going to be people who will try and deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, they may be deceived into thinking that they are. It may be that something has come up on the inside of them and said, you are the Messiah. Oh, wow. And they believed it and they're going off trying to sell that to other people. It may be that they know that they're not, but they're going to sell themselves that they are. That group is out there too. But some are going to go out there and they're going to say, I am the Christ and will deceive many because they don't know what the Word of God teaches about it. Just like with Paul, people came along to the Thessalonians and said, you're in the tribulation now. Oh, wow, we didn't know we were in the tribulation now. Paul writes Second Thessalonians and says, no, 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 you are not. It is impossible for us to be in the tribulation until the great 
and unfortunately it's been wrongly translated, falling away happens first. That is not what that means. You need a certain combination of Greek words to get to that place of apostasy and falling away. And you don't have that there. What he's saying is until the great catching away happens, until the, the rapture happens, until that happens, it is impossible for the tribulation to come upon us. As long as we're here, there's no tribulation. Don't wake up in the morning, you can't find anybody in the house and think, oh, maybe the rapture happened. <laughs> Not saying that can't happen for some people, but if you're born again, serving God, got the Spirit of God on the inside of you, don't you be, be fretting about it. Did you ever hear that, that practical joke they play on the youth pastor? They had a meeting, a church meeting, and uh, the youth pastor constantly was falling asleep in the meeting. I don't know why he was falling asleep. I don't know if he just worked too many hours or what it was, but he constantly was falling asleep in the meeting. And so they just waited for him to fall asleep. And when he fell asleep, they all uh, brought other clothes with them and they undressed and they put their clothes in their chair. Every single one of them, they just... And then they, they left the building. <laughs> and when he woke up, all he sees is the clothes of all the people that were there. <laughs> that is a really good practical joke. I, I enjoyed hearing that one. But he said, many will come and say, I am he. I am the Christ. And deceive many. People will be deceived. Please understand this. In the end times, don't follow the masses. There are many Christians who will be deceived because they don't know what the Word says. They won't accept what the Word says. They won't stay with what the Word says. Know what the Word says. The most important thing to, to learn is what is in the Bible. Whenever we've gone over end times, I've always tried to divide it into this way. This is what the Word says. This is what we think it means. But I try and separate it. This is what we think it means. But this is what it says. So that when you get to the place, if what we think it means doesn't materialize, then we know what it said and we can look out for something else. It's really important to know what it said. Don't hang on to what we think. Hang on to what is said. Now, Jesus is still working on these questions. These questions got his attention. He's interested in answering these questions. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, let me clear up this part. This that Jesus is teaching... He, Jesus does not teach about the rapture. They didn't ask about the rapture. They don't know about the rapture to ask about the rapture. They ask three questions. And he will answer those three questions. He's not going to answer questions they didn't ask because that would lead to confusions. His question, the questions were, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What coming is he referring to? Not the rapture. They don't know about the rapture. What would be the sign of your coming as king and of the end of the age? What age are they discussing? They don't know about the church age. What age are they in? They're in the Jewish age. They want to know the end of the Jewish age. If you take an answer out of Jesus' teaching for anything but those three questions, you are primed for deception. Don't do it. That's what they asked. That's what he's answering. The people who take things out of Jesus' teaching and teach about the rapture. Two will be on a hill, one will be taken, one will be left. That is not rapture teaching. I'm not saying that that's not how the rapture is going to go. I'm saying that's not rapture teaching. Because Jesus didn't teach the rapture. Paul taught the rapture. Jesus taught the second advent. When he says the two will be left, we always assume where the one who is taken is the Christian, the one who is left is the believer. Or the, the unbeliever. And they're raptured out. That is wrong. The one who is left is the Christian. The one who is pulled out is the unbeliever. Because we're going into the next kingdom. And those who don't believe are not entering into the millennial kingdom. They are pulled out. We have what's called the judgment of nations. And they are separated. But anyway, that's another thing. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Now, Jesus is teaching this. This is all about the rapture, or all about the uh, second advent. But they didn't know that the church age wedged itself in between Daniel's 69th and 70th week. 
He's talking about, and he's going to use this term later on, growing pains or grumblings or birth pangs or things like that. It is very possible and very likely that the pains that it speaks of begin in the church age and move over into the rapture. That works out just fine. Because the earth is sensing the coming and the earth is reacting to it. It's not a uh, a birth pain that starts as soon as the rapture happens. We're going to start to see some of these things now. And we are. So the wars and rumors of wars, they're going to happen now. They have been happening for a long time. They will continue to happen all the way up until the tribulation, whenever it starts. If the tribulation starts next year, if the tribulation starts in 10 years, if the tribulation starts in 100 years, if the tribulation starts in 1,000 years. I don't need to get into that debate. I want to be ready for it to be happening tomorrow and prepare for it to be happening a 1,000 years down the road. That's how I have to live. But these these pains are going to be starting up. So the earthquakes, the rumors of wars, all this that we see can be happening in our time and still be leading up to this. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Now that goes for us too. Do not be troubled at wars. If Russia declares war on the Ukraine like it did, don't be troubled. If some other country declares war on some other, if China declares war on Taiwan, don't be troubled. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Which means there will be wars that are thought might happen that don't happen and wars that do happen. So don't be, don't be troubled about that. That's what Jesus taught us right in the beginning. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Now, right now, we've only heard of wars. We've only heard of the war in Ukraine. It's not here on our soil. We've only heard of it. But it's still going on. There's rumors of wars. There's rumors that China wants to take on Taiwan. That's a rumor. Hasn't happened yet. But these things are possible. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Just because we're seeing these things does not mean the end is here. It's not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now I look at that, there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Most of the time, I would say, all the years that I've studied this, I have only looked at it, and the people I've read after have only looked at it from one standpoint. Drought. Uh, insects, like locusts coming in swarms and, and eating stuff up. Uh, different causes that famines have. No one that I have ever heard in all this time has ever thought it would be created by people. And yet that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of companies buying up land. We're seeing a lot of companies, or actually not a lot of companies, there's like two or three of them, that are buying up a lot of the land, a lot of the factories, a lot of the places where this stuff is made. We're seeing that uh, it's, it's almost like it's intentional that shortages are being created. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought we would have done that? I, in all the times I've ever taught, end times, I've never thought that people would intentionally create this situation, but it does seem like that might be coming about. Now, Jesus doesn't say whether it's natural or, fo- or forced. He just says this is what's going to happen. So it can come about any different way. We don't know. But pestilence, famines, earthquakes in various places. And you've all have seen that earthquakes have certainly uh, been on the increase. If you ever go on those websites that show you how many uh, earthquakes are, are increasing. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We are certainly seeing that now. Because all you need to do is make a stand for things of God. All you do is need to make a stand that Jesus is the only way. And you are out. I mean, you can have even Hollywood people that are popular suddenly make a stand for Jesus Christ and everything comes after them. How many times have we seen that just in the last month? Different people. I mean, 
Tim the Tool Man is out there and he makes a statement about Christ and Christmas and how he pressured Disney to keep Christ in the little thing, whatever it was that he was doing. I don't know what he was doing. I didn't see it. But whatever he was doing. And he caught all kinds of flack when that became public that he had done this. Uh, Candace uh, Cameron, uh, I can never say her name. <laughs> she, she came under attack for the, the statements that she has made in the area of, uh, of, of marriage. Uh, there's other ones that are even more popular than they in Hollywood, and they have made statements, and they have uh, made stands, and immediately they want to be, let's blacklist them, let's keep them off from, the, from uh, doing things in film and whatever it might be. See, it's not wrong for you to believe in God, and you won't be hated because you believe in God. What you'll be hated for is when you say that Jesus is the only way. If you're going to say Jesus is the only way, if you're going to say that certain things are sin that are not sin, if you're going to do that, it's, it's not going to work out so well for you. So this is what he's saying, that you're going to be hated for these things. Don't be surprised. In fact, if you're not being hated on on a regular basis, maybe you're not quite doing all these things you should be doing. So they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Boy, is that not this day and age. Many will be offended. I mean, it seems like no matter what you can do, you can be offended. Now, it's not all right if you're offended as a Christian. You can't go into the school board and tell them, I'm offended that you are teaching my kids this way, or you're bringing this drag queen into the school room, or that you're not having boys and girls rooms. You can go in there as a Christian and say these things and they will be offended at you. But you don't have the right to be offended at what they're doing. So many will be offended. We are seeing that all over. This is what Jesus said was coming. It does not necessarily mean the end is here yet. It just means the more this steps up, the closer we're getting to it. Now again, closer to God, it could be five years. It could be ten years. It could be a hundred years. Remember, he said, I'm coming quickly. That was a long time ago. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Are we not doing that betraying one another? I mean, as soon as you step out of line, oh, you didn't get vaccinated. Oh, you're going around your house without a mask on. Then they'll, they'll betray one another for these things. And they'll hate someone just for the very fact of whether they wear a mask, have a certain bumper sticker, Whatever, they'll just automatically hate. Well, I hate you. This is what's going on. Jesus predicted this. Don't be, don't be offset by these things. Keep doing what God said to do. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Many false prophets. Not a few, many. Many false prophets will rise up. They will. They're coming. We've seen a lot, but there's more coming. And they will deceive many. Do not be looking at all these things, all these people that are out there and saying, well, if, if all these people are going this way, maybe there's something to it. They will deceive many. Understand what the word says and stay with it. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Is lawlessness abounding? Who would have thought that lawlessness would abound to this, this degree? Who would have thought we want to go back to a Wild West type of thing where everyone does what's right in their own eyes? Who would have thought we would have uh, wanted to disband police? But they've gone in all these directions and lawlessness abounds. Who would have thought that cities would be allowed to burn because we don't want to offend them? We don't want to stop them. So we should just let these things go on and people can just do whatever they want to do. Destroy. Burn, doesn't matter. So as lawlessness abounds, many people, their love will grow cold. Well, if this is the way people in this world are going to act, I'll just let judgment come down upon them. I'm just going to stay here in my room and, and we'll be saved and we don't care what happens to anyone else. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as the witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Now, we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. We preach, preach the gospel of grace and peace. That God has made peace with man through Jesus Christ. We preach a gospel of grace. But in this day, they're going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
That gospel of the kingdom is the, the kingdom of God is coming. Because once the tribulation starts, the word of God says it's seven years. The kingdom of God is coming. That's their message. That's not our message. Our message is message of grace. That God has made peace with man through Jesus Christ. Received Jesus Christ and received this peace. That's the message that we preach. So, we see that the events leading up to this, we have deception. That's the initial warning. We have false Christ. This also corresponds with seal number one in Revelation 6, verses 1 through 2. We have wars. Seal number two. Revelation 6, 3 and 4. It corresponds with that. It doesn't mean it can't happen before. It just means that when the seal is undone, what is already going on is going to be accentuated. It's going to be strengthened. Birth pangs is talked about as being the famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. Seal number 3 and seal number 4 talk about those in Revelation 6, 5 through 8. Lawlessness, lovelessness, and evangelization. Round out the last three. These are the things that Jesus talked about. The evangeliz- evangelization that goes on during the tribulation. You have 144,000 Jews. They seem to be taken to the gospel. As soon as the rapture happens, they heard about it. They see what's going on. They decide to get saved then. Tribulation saints are going to be involved. Angels are involved according to range- Revelation 14, 6 through 7. There are two witnesses in Revelations 11, 1 through 7. They're going to be witnesses for about three and a half years. Matthew 17, Malachi 4, 4 through 6 also talk about those. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Daniel spoke about this this image. He spoke about an image that will be coming up. This image is going to be set up in the temple. This image is going to be involved in the mark of the beast. I had a conversation with somebody over at uh, Wendy's this week. And uh, just somebody ran into, we had a random conversation. We were talking about this. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians who are hesitant to get anything resembling the mark of the beast. I don't even want a credit card. I don't want to have my credit card on my phone. They're very resistant to anything about it. If you don't understand something, then you will resist the wrong things. The mark of the beast is not worldwide. It is restricted to the area of Israel, Syria, Iran, Iraq, the area, the territory of the king of the north. Because that's the only area he controls. He does not control any other area. He only controls there. What goes on in the United States is separate from what goes on there. What goes on in Europe is separate from what goes on there. What goes on in Africa is separate from what goes on there. What goes on in Egypt, what goes on in Russia, what goes, they're all separate from what goes on there. China is not even involved in that group. The King of the North, we, we, um, put some things up there before for you to go check that out if you needed to. You uh, didn't get it, don't know where it is, let me know. I'll help you out with that. The King in the North is the forerunner to the Antichrist. He is, the Antichrist is called that. He is not a worldwide ruler. There are many people who assume in end times teaching that we will achieve a worldwide kingdom. We will not achieve a worldwide kingdom. We will not achieve a worldwide money system. We will not achieve a worldwide banking system. The Bible does not predict this, call for this, or look for this. You have wars. You cannot have wars unless you have separate nations. If you have wars, we are not using the same currency. All these things are just Natural phenomena. So that's the way it is. But the Bible never says that the Antichrist will become a world leader. People who have gotten end times wrong have preached this. He is not. So, if they do a thing in the United States, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you that if here in the United States, they come up to you and say, if you put this credit card in your hand, you won't have to worry about losing it anymore. That is not the mark of the beast. Well, it sure sounds like it's the mark of the beast. No. The mark of the beast involves receiving the mark and 
giving worship to the beast. Both of those things. The reason that God says, if you take the mark of the beast, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The reason it says that is because in order to take that mark, you have to give some kind of worship to this image that is of the beast. That's what's involved. That is the problem. Everything has focused on the chip, on whatever is in your forehead or your hand. Everything focuses on that. That's not what the Bible focuses on. The Bible focuses on the false worship. Well, hey, but if I get the chip and don't, don't do the false worship. Now, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I'm not telling you this to free you up that if you want to go get a chip in your hand so you can go out there and buy all sorts of stuff that you go ahead and do it. I have no plans of getting any chip. I don't even have my phone program with my credit card to go into the store. If I forget my wallet, I'm done. I have not gone into that direction. I don't plan to go in that direction either. But I'm not saying that you, that you can't, that if you get that, that it's over. I'm not trying to tell you that. What I'm telling you is be focused on the right thing. The problem is the worship of the beast. The problem is the worship of the image. That is where the issue is going to come in. And basically, he's going to say, you cannot buy anything or sell anything unless you worship the beast. And when you worship the beast, you're going to get this chip. Whatever it is that they put in your hand and forehead. But the problem is the worship of the beast. They're going to set up this image. This image is going to come to life. And we are already seeing the forerunners of that. How many times have we seen statues that bleed? Statues that cry. People are already getting uh, to begin to look for this sort of thing. Those are not it. What's going to happen in the end times is going to blow that out of the water. I don't know exactly what, but this thing's going to look like it's alive. And the prophet for the Antichrist is what's going to give life to this thing. And then he's going to call for people to worship this. If you don't worship this, you're going to die. But you see, everything revolves around Israel in the Jewish age. We are in the last week of the Jewish age in the tribulation. God revolves around... The world revolves around Israel. And so that's where this is, this is coming from. Where the United States is, I don't know. We might be gone. We might be here. I, it, it makes no difference to me. Our kingdom is of another. But here's what he says. This is stuff that if the disciples don't ask the question... We may not have had the detail on what needed, needed to be done. He says, Once you see the de- abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Look at that. Standing, not just placed. Standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Now, when we've taught to you this before. We let you know, this does not mean that if the desolation of that the Antichrist sets up and he puts up that image, that all of us should flee to the Poconos. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean if you live in Colorado, you leave, fly out to the Rocky Mountains. It doesn't mean that. What he is talking about is a, is a specific set of mountains that is to the east of Judah. These are the mountains, the very mountains that Balaam cursed Israel, tried to curse Israel from. He says, flee to those mountains. He's telling them in Judea to flee to those mountains. Now, Judea is only about the size of uh, uh, New Jersey. It's not very big. In fact, Judea, I think Israel is about the size of New Jersey. Judea is even smaller. We're not looking at a whole lot of space. You don't have to go all that far. You don't have to get on a plane. You can, you can get there. But he says, if you see that, don't go back and get your hat. Don't get a second set of clothes. Don't go out and get your special Bible. If you hear that this has gone on, flee. Get out there. Because in the mountains, God says, I'll protect you. But if you don't listen, there won't be that protection. Even if you're on top of the house, don't go down into the house. Flee. Get out. Now here's something. I'm going to show you that there are, there are still some things I don't understand about this. About what Jesus taught. I'm going to give you one of them. 
But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Now, there might be some people, they hit this spot, the abomination is set up, and they're pregnant. Oh, woe is me. God, why did you let this happen to me? God didn't let it happen to you. He warned you about it here. Once you're in the tribulation, don't get pregnant. Simple. You're in the tribulation, don't get pregnant. If you do, you're not dead. It's just, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Woe to you. I mean, trying to climb up the mountains when you're pregnant, that's, that's going to be hard. Trying to climb up the mountains when you're nursing, that's going to be hard. He says, I'd rather you not go into that, so don't, don't do it. He's giving you the warning now. If you make it into the tribulation, now, they don't know about the possibility of not making it in the tribulation, about the, the church age. They don't know about that, so he's just kind of skipping all that. But he says, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. So if you get there, oh God, please give me some help. God's going to say, I told you not to do it. There are some things we just need to get ready for so that the what God wants to do can be done. If we don't get ready for it, it won't happen. Verse 20. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in the Sabbath. I do not understand this verse. I have looked at this so many different ways and so many different times. I do not understand this verse. I'll tell you why I don't understand it. The Bible is very specific in the book of Revelation as to the day the tribulation begins, which is the day that the church is pulled out. In three and a half years, this image is going to be set up. In fact, the Bible counts out the days. I forget the number. 1,200 and... What is it? 1,260. Thank you, sir. 1,200. He gives you the days. So all you need to do is read the Bible. All right, well, the tribulation start here. 1,260 days. This is when the image is going to be set up. We're 60 days away from it. We're 100 days away from it. I know when it's going to happen. How can I pray that my flight not be in the winter? The time frame is established by when the tribulation happens. So the only effective prayers that I can make is before the tribulation starts. But if I'm praying to God before the tribulation starts, wouldn't it stand to reason that I wouldn't be here? <laughs> so I don't understand the verse. I don't understand what he's saying. I still have to get some revelation on some things here myself. But he says, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, I understand not wanting to, to go in the winter. On the Sabbath? I don't know. Maybe it might work out better that way. But he says, pray that it, that it doesn't. I'm praying I don't make the flight. That's what I'm... I, no, I'm going to go on the on the first tier. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen... I've not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So, he's giving you some warnings, some things to do. This is the people that are going to be here in the tribulation. They can read the Bible. The Bible will be around. They can read these things. And they can understand it. Now, here's that's that's the first question he addresses. Here's the second question. What shall be the sign of your coming? What shall be the sign of your coming? Then if anyone says to you, verse 23, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. This is what's going to happen. These guys, they listen, they flee up into the mountains. They're up in the mountains. What do we do now? I don't know, somebody probably bought a radio. Maybe they have a cell phone. Whatever it is. And they're getting some news reports. And on the news reports, they're saying, Christians, your Christ is here. Here he is on the streets. He's calling for you. You need to come down and see him. Your Christ is here in the streets of Jerusalem and they're calling for you. Come on down. <gasps> He's calling for me. And it might even be that they stage a thing where that false Christ is walking through the streets and he might call that person by name. 
Mary Smith, I'm looking for you. Where are you? <gasps> he called me by name. Oh, he, call, he called my name. That has to mean my Jesus. Oh, I'm going to go down and see him. And when they get down there, guess what happens? And they're saying, Oh, God, protect me. Oh, God, my protection was up there. You left it. He's saying, don't fall for it. Don't go after it. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. If anyone says, look, here's Jesus. He's down here. You've got to come down here to see him. Stay in the mountains. If you were in this area. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, that's words to be taken now. I don't care what prophet comes to you and what signs they do. If they lead you in a way against the word of God, do not believe it. Do not believe it. Know what the word says. The spirit of God will not lead you by prophecy or any other way against what the word says. So stay with the word. So he says, See, I have told you beforehand. You shouldn't be deceived because I've told you about it. It's coming. Don't be deceived. It's kind of like, you know, they do those phone scams. How many of you ever heard of phone scams? After a while, you know, you get word about these things. They're going to call you. They're going to tell you we're going to shut off your power. We're going to, they're going to tell you you owe some big tax bill. Uh, what, is, what other things would they do? They do these things and uh, if you don't pay it right now and we'll take a credit card over the phone. Can I call you, call you back? No, you can't. It's right now. If you don't do this right now and you can tell people about the scam but then when they're actually in it and the pressure is on, things can change. And sometimes people who knew about the scam gave into the scam because of that pressure that was there. That's a small scale compared to what's going on here. If that pulls people in this is going to be greater. He's warning you. He says, look, I told you ahead of time. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look. If he says, look, he's in a desert, don't, don't leave the mountains. Stay there. Because that's where he told them to go, right? That's where they are. They're not in the desert. They're in the mountains. But this Christ is down here in the desert. He says, don't go out there and look. He's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. When Jesus Christ comes at the end, it will not be people on the ground that are telling you here he is. Because he will appear in the air. And nobody on the ground is going to be saying, oh, here he is. They will be in fear of what's going on. Now again, this is not the rapture. They didn't ask him about the rapture. They asked, what will be the sign of your coming? Second Advent. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. <clears throat> I heard somebody commenting on this. If you hear stuff like this, this is not true. Don't believe it. I heard somebody commenting on this that our sun is going to be affected. Wrong. Our sun will continue to function just like it is. For the sun to be darkened, all that has to happen is something in our atmosphere. If the sun, as someone to say, becomes affected and destroyed, that would mean that the entire solar system is free-floating. I read some things, because I've told you before, I love studying the stars. I read this about, about our solar system. I did not know this, and all the studies I've ever done, I did not know this until recently. Do you know what trouble we as a planet would be in if we did not have Jupiter? I was amazed at how much effect one planet has on us here. Jupiter. I mean, all know it's the largest planet strongest gravitational pull. If you want to have some fun, go up and take a look at Jupiter and look at the orbit. Look at the orbit of Jupiter. If you get a detailed, uh, uh, one of those uh, 
models that do, detailed model, you will not only find that in the orbit of Jupiter is Jupiter, but you will find thousands of very large asteroids, as well as all the moons. Jupiter has a lot of moons that all follow Jupiter. These are dangerous things that have entered into our solar system and could have done damage to Earth. But Jupiter picked them up. And now they follow that gravitational pull. There are thousands of these things traveling around Jupiter. Every time Jupiter makes a loop around, it finds more stuff floating around, picks it up in its gravitational pull, and gets it out of our way. I didn't know that about Jupiter. But these are the things that God has put in order. The sun has a lot more effect than just giving light. The book of Revelation talks about it giving light. It gives off a whole lot more than just light. But light is one of those things that it gives off. But you can block the light and still have all the other good effects that it has. There are end times people who want to teach that our sun is going to be destroyed in the tribulation. It will not be destroyed in the tribulation. The sun will still be here. There are people who teach that the sun is not necessary in the coming kingdom. How many have ever heard that? I just heard it recently. I know you all did too. That's wrong. The Bible never says the sun will not be here. It says the light from the sun is not necessary. It does not say it goes away. It just says the light from the city is going to be so great that we won't need the light of the sun. And even when the light of the sun goes, goes away because the earth is rotating still, it won't matter because this is still there. How do you know that? Because if you take the sun out of our solar system, things on the earth are greatly affected. We, we need the sun for a lot of things. We need it because God set it up this way. We didn't set it up this way. God set it up this way. And he has set up many, many other galaxies, many, many other planetary systems that operate in the exact same way. That's how God did it. That's the laws that God put in operation. Just because you see the sun being darkened doesn't mean that parts of the sun are being blacked out or, or killed or whatever it might be. It's not what it's saying. I'm not saying that that can't happen and that God can't overcome it. I'm saying that's not what it's saying in there. It's just you put a, a bunch of clouds out there. You put a lot of smoke in the sky and the sun will be darkened. We've seen that just from volcanoes. We've seen it from forest fires. What's going on in the last three years of the end times is going to be greater. So be careful of assumptions people make. So immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Just means that the light's not coming and the moon will not give its light. Well, if you're darkening the sun and the moon won't give its light, then whatever is in the atmosphere is blocking the light that the moon would give, which is a lower level of light, but not quite enough to block the sun. The sun is just darkened. Does that make sense to you? The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be things falling from the heavenlies. What has been going on to protect our, our uh, earth from meteors, from things that would, would come upon us, we are being, uh, some of that protection is going to be gone. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not wandering on the desert. Not in the inner room. This is how he's coming. If anybody wants to say he's coming any other way, that's wrong. This is how the Son of Man is coming. He is the one coming back. I think he knows how he's going to do it. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the one end of heaven to the other. If we had time, I'd spend time on that because that phrase is only used here. It's kind of an interesting one. But let's go on. Verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near and at the doors. When you see things coming about, just know it's near. Don't get scared. It's coming. It's getting closer. Now, we see things increasing, and we want to assume, well, because it's increasing to this level, it must be within a year or two. 
It may still be 10, 20, 50, 100. I don't know. I don't need to figure that out. I just know we are closer in this decade than we were in the last one. And we're seeing a lot more of the things happening. That's all I need to know. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Oh, surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. A generation in the Word of God is generally 40 years, but it can be as much as 100. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. That's not necessarily saying that they were all drunken fools. How many of you had something to drink today? How many of you had something to eat? How many of you have uh, seen people planning for marriages and weddings and such things? It just means life went on. Same thing with Noah. People were waking up, having breakfast. If they knew the end was coming, would they be so concerned about having breakfast that day? They didn't know. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to take some people by surprise. It should not take us by surprise. We've got enough things in here to, to, to alert us. That we should know. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Again, we've already addressed that. Talked about that. That's not the rapture. Watch therefore... For you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So whenever you've heard people over the years say, well, Jesus is coming on September, whatever. You know it's wrong. It can't be right because we would expect it. And of course, they'd be talking about the rapture and not the second advent. Jesus is talking about the second advent. Now, to, to a degree, I, well, when he says you don't know when he's I think you don't know when all this is going to start. Because if you read the book of Revelation, you can calibrate to the day when Jesus is coming. I just can't calibrate when it starts. But once it starts, I know exactly when he's coming. I can count the years until, the days until the, the image. And then I can count the days from the image being set up until Christ returns. I can count the days. The days are given to me. But I don't know when all this stuff is going to start. Anybody who wants to tell you what's going to start here, you don't know yet. People have said, you know, Jesus was asked that no, you know, when's this going to be? And he said, no one knows but the Father. He said that before he ascended. When he ascended, went up on high and came back down, he never said, I didn't know anymore. He never said the Father only is the only one who knows. I do believe the Son of God knows just like the Father knows. They know the day. I don't know the day, <laughs> but I believe that he does. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household? To give them food in due season. Blessed is the ser that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As a servant who is diligent, who is faithful, who is studying the things that the Master says, you have a good idea when it's coming. But it should never affect you from being ready for Him to be coming tomorrow as well as being delayed. 50 years, 100 years, it should not affect you. You can go with both things. It might be today. It might be 100 years from now. I don't know. I'm ready for both. The teaching that we have a revelation had not been given yet, but Daniel spelled out the days pretty well. Revelation is going to spell it out even more. But there will be things that will be stated, things that are said that are going to pull believers off what God said. 
There are things being stated right now in end times. I I listened to a few of them. I had a hard time with some listening to some of them. A few of them I just couldn't listen to them anymore. There's a lot of stuff that is so much against what the Word of God plainly states. Go with what the Word of God plainly states. Understand it. The age will be the Jewish age, as we said, because they asked the question, what shall be the end of the world or the end of the age? The age is the Jewish age. This is the one that the angel spoke of. The 70 weeks are determined for your people. 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled. We are on the, the wait of the 70th week being done. Has not started yet. The church age is the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. The parable shows a sudden end and a division between those that are ready and not. And that is the parable of the, uh, of the, uh, Virgins, the ten virgins. It's going to show you some things. Some of them were ready, some of them were not. But when the bridegroom came, it's over. That's it. Bridegroom comes, there's no pounding, there's no pleading, there's no getting in. But he gives this, this parable, and you can read it there. In the, uh, the ten virgins, they come, and ten of them didn't get sufficient oil. In other words, they were prepared for a short time, not a long time. The other ones prepared for a long time. The time that the bridegroom waited was longer than the time that five prepared for. Not as long as the other five prepared for. They were ready. That's why don't prepare for short. Prepare for long. And if short happens, you're ready. It is easier to be ready for something short if you are prepared for something long. And that's what he's telling them here. Prepare for something long. Get yourself ready. Get all the oil that you need. Whatever it is that you need, get it all together. Be prepared. Because when that happens, Jesus says, the five said to them, well, give us some of your oil. Uh-uh, no. Because if we give you some of ours, we not, may not have enough. And we've made preparation. Go to the people and buy. So they had to go out and find some people that were still open. And buy. But this is what he's, he's telling you here. When he comes, it's sudden and it's final. So make sure that you're ready. But all this came out in the course of conversation. Many questions were formed and asked in conversations. How many times are you just walking around with somebody? You weren't thinking, going into that about questions, but as you're walking and talking, you think about some questions and you ask those questions. And then that person responds. And then you begin to, well, what about this? And, and questions go back and forth because of the conversion that's, that's going on, the conversation that's there. We are to have these kind of conversations with God. You can have them with the Father. You can have them with the Holy Spirit. You can have them with the Father. Ask the Father questions. Holy Spirit will reveal the answer to you. I have this answer for you. Sometimes we saw that angels came and brought the answers. Whatever it might be, have these conversations with God. You need to walk in such a way that you are just constantly conversing with God. Whatever it is that's going on, you're just talking to Him about things. Well, God, look at this that's going on. Look at how people are responding in this. Look about this over here. Is this something I should be concerned about in this area? And you're just talking. You're having conversation. And when you do... God will give you some answers. Remember those things we gave you there at the beginning. Make sure that when you're talking, you have faith in God. You have trust in God. All those things need to hold up in your conversation with Him. You know, if you have a conversation with a spouse or a best friend or a child, as soon as you start making assumptions, as soon as you start assuming the worst in the other person, as soon as you stop having faith in them, as soon as you stop having trust in them, you shut down the conversation. You shut down the conversation. You shut down the questions. You shut down the questions. You cut off the answers. You, you stop the learning. Don't have them like that. You ought to have the conversations with God the same way. But make sure you have them with the people around you the same way. If you start having distrust with the people that are around you and it comes out in your questions, you're going to shut down the conversation. You can shut it down with God too. But you see, these disciples, they came. They came privately. 
Maybe they came privately because they didn't want anybody else to ask some question that was going to short-circuit this. Maybe they were pretty convinced that we can stay in the area of faith and trust and ask him these questions. He'll give us a good answer. And he gave them a good answer. This is a phenomenal answer. He spent more time on these questions that they gave him than any other questions I can find in the Bible. These questions got his attention. And they were just formed from a conversation, from talking. But that conversation didn't happen. We don't get these answers. We got to be in the habit of regular conversations with God. If you don't, you'll be coming up short in the wisdom that you will learn and the wisdom that He will share with you. So I gave you this for you. First off, talk to God. Don't just talk, listen. Don't just listen. Ponder the things He says to you. Ponder them. Think on them. Spend some time with it. I'm, I'm just trying to get the whole whole meaning of what you said to me. And then after you ponder for a while, ask a question that is born of faith, of trust, of patience, of all those things. Make sure it has all those qualities in it and then begin to ask Him. Always have faith and trust in His Word. Don't ask Him questions. Well, how can this be true? What you said in your word, when look at all that's going on out over here. That's a distrustful question. Father, I understand your word says this. I'm looking out here in the world and I'm seeing these things going on. I'm not understanding how this is going about. Can you help me out with this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can give you some answers for that. I can help you out with this. Let him speak to you. Because he will. He will. There's a lot of things out there in the end times era, in the end times area, people that want to speak to you on these things, make sure it stays lined up with the Word. What we know in the Word is really all I need. I don't need anything else. I cannot get it all from the Word. But I don't have a full comprehension of everything that's in the Word yet. But I keep pondering them. I keep coming back and asking Him questions. I keep coming back and seeking after Him. What is it that I can learn from here? Because sometimes he's brought me back to a very passage I've already studied out. And he said, do you see that in there? Oh, now I see how that fits into the scheme of things. There's still more to be learning. Don't be like the little kid who's digging the hole and thinks that what he sees in that hole is all that there is to be seen. I've dug a hole. I've gotten into some of these things in the Word of God. You've gotten into some of these things in the Word of God. But there's a lot more out there to be learned. That needs to be our goal. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday.